So a couple weeks ago, we were in the book of Acts, and we had uh, just about wrapped up, I think we did wrap up chapter 16, actually, and we're about to move into chapter 17 and talk about Paul and Silas in Thessalonica. And so if you remember from a few weeks back, a couple weeks back, we, we had discussed that there's a lot that goes on through this section in the book of Acts talking about Paul's missionary journeys and all of the different cities that he visits and and uh, the, the things that are recorded in scripture that he has done. And we just wrapped up the, uh, the, the Philippian jailer and his conversion to Christ and the, the episode where uh, Paul was in jail and singing praises to God and the, the ground shaking and all these things that took place, this miracle that, that, that ensued to allow them to witness to the jailer and his family and to bring them to Christ. And then we talked about how the, <clears throat> how the magistrates were wanting to get them to essentially leave on their own uh, and, and sneak out of town, if you will. Now they stayed and made sure that uh, that that didn't happen, and uh, that they they were apologized to because they were Roman citizens and, and treated unfairly, and all those things transpired, all of them for the betterment of the gospel, all of them for the furtherment of, of uh, having an understanding of Christ by those who who heard what uh, Paul had preached. So now we come to Thessalonica. And um, we're going to talk about this morning, probably get through Thessalonica. We may get through Berea uh, because uh, it's kind of a, a quick read. And then we'll get to Athens. <coughs> and so we'll see if we get, get that far uh, this morning or not. But Athens is the, the very well-known sermon that Paul gave to the unknown God. And we'll, we'll have a chance to read and, and study about that. So my voice will hold out this morning. Uh, read with me in chapter 17, starting with verse 1. And let's see where it takes us this morning. Scripture tells us in verse 1, it says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And if you remember, we talked about how in Philippi, they didn't go to a synagogue. So we assumed that there, there must not have been very many male Jews in the area because it took 10 male Jews to set up a synagogue. And so instead, they wound up witnessing Lydia and the others at the river outside of town where there was a place of, of prayer. So now that Paul is in Thessalonica, he's going back to his, his usual uh, his mode of operation here and going to the synagogues. So it says where there was a synagogue of the Jews, Verse 2 says, And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them, with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Verse 4 says, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. So we know what's happening here. He has gone into the synagogues. He is reasoning with them. And when Paul reasons with the Jews, generally means he is talking about what they already know from the Old Testament. And he's saying, 
You know these things to be true. You have seen these things. You've studied these things. You should know these things. So now let me explain to you how Jesus fulfilled these things. And he's trying to open their eyes. It, it states here in Acts that he was there for three Sabbath days, but we know from uh, the letters to the Thessalonians that his ministry was probably longer than that, that time period. But we're focusing here on, on the, the initial three days that he spent in Thessalonica um, giving them or delivering them the gospel. So we know that some were converted. We know that some heard. And, and, I, and I love these, these almost opposite way of referring to things. Um, not a few. So that's, a, that's almost a, that's a modest way of saying it was a lot. We had success. Things happened. People responded. They heard the gospel and they reacted. Um, and it's a, it, 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 when we read it, it's, you have to t let your mind flip-flop what you're reading and put it in, in proper context. So what happens in verse 5 is what you might expect to happen. The Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. Poor Jason was their host. They were staying with Jason. So they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason out. It says they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. So they're essentially charging them with uh, they're, they're, they're disturbing things. They're, 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 uh, uh, I love this term of turning the world upside down. But they're charging them with proclaiming another king other than, the, other than Caesar. And so essentially what's happening here is a total misunderstanding. Or a, or a total misrepresentation of what's being taking place because they're not talking about earthly king. They're not talking about someone who's going to rule over the, the, the cities or the, or the towns or a kingdom on earth. They're talking about Jesus in a totally different light, but they frame it a little bit differently. And they say they are, they are going against the decrees of Caesar in doing so. So in verse 8 it says, And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Anybody ever see these uh, TV shows where you'll have the bad guys from town? And no, I'm not talking about westerns. But the bad guys from town will, will, will come in and demand protection money. And you pay us and we'll leave you alone. That's, that's the picture I get here. It's a little bit different, but it's not much different. You know, they, so they, they, they drag Jason out and, and basically say, where are these guys that you're harboring? Well, they're not here. Well, where are they? I don't know where they're at. Okay, well, here's what we're going to do. You're going to pay us money. And when you pay us this money, you're going to guarantee that none of this stuff is ever going to happen again. You're going to guarantee... And you're going to give us money, 
And you're going to make sure that when these guys who are turning the world upside down show up again, that they don't cause any more trouble. And that's the situation they're in. And I'm sure it's under threat. It's like, I'm taking your money now. Next time I might take something else. And so Jason is left in a situation, in a position where he's got to do something in order <clears throat> to not make it worse for him. But he's essentially given a, a, a guarantee that he will do whatever is necessary to make sure that Paul and Silas don't stir up any more trouble. And that's a difficult place to be in. So it's a, it's a situation where and we read in the very next verse that the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, this is a little bit different. I want to I compare and contrast this a little bit. We had just talked about Philippi, where the magistrates had said, get out of Dodge. Okay, now I'm talking about Westerns. Get out of town and, <laughs> and do it under the cover of night and just, just sneak out. We, we don't want to deal with you. And they refused. We will not. Now they have put Jason in a very precarious situation and the brothers have gotten together and Paul and Silas have snuck away by night and left Berea, or left uh, to, uh, you know, <coughs> left to go to Berea. <coughs> what, what's going on? Why would they do that? The whole city was mad at them this time, wasn't it? So it wasn't just the rulers that threw them in jail or the lady with all the demon eye Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, there's not just a select few that's happening. It seems to be town. Yeah, this, this, is, this maybe is a different level. I would, I'll agree with that. This maybe is a, is a different level. Um, and, and, and I wonder, I wonder how much, Jay, we don't know much about Jason here. But I wonder how much their concern for Jason's well-being and for the brothers who were with him played a part into this. Because they realize that they have, they, have, they have come to the house where they have been staying. The brothers are probably threatened at this point. And if things get bigger and more of an uproar, then Jason has paid the security payment. So there's something on the line here. And so I, I, I think about that and I think, you know, for the everything that we know Paul did, especially during the missionary journeys, was for Christ. It was so that Christ may be lifted up and it was so that that the church may be expanded and the kingdom may be grown. And so you try to look at every action, not from the standpoint of, well, that's not what he did over here. But from the standpoint of, if he didn't do this, how could it have harmed the church? What harm could have come to the brothers? Because we know we, we know a whole lot more about what took place in Thessalonica later on, as far as the church from from the Thessalonians one and two. But um, it's it's one of those things where if we ask the, the question in an opposite way, what could have gone wrong? Had they not done this, and perhaps the uproar from the town, from the from the those in charge, from those who had harbored them, or toward those who had harbored them, could have been who knows what, and it could have certainly hindered 
the church from from starting up any further. <coughs> Don't know, but the Jews now playing the Caesar card. Say that again. The Jews are playing the Caesar. They are. Yeah. Great for the Greeks, but it's against the Jewish law for them to even have. Enough. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you're right. It is. But they're using the card. They are. They're using. They're using whatever influence they can come up with. You're you're correct. They, they, that's all supposed to be separated out. So they sneak on out and they head to Berea. Anything else? Any comments? Okay. So in Berea, they go back into the synagogue. Now we learn in verse 11 here that these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Love that verse. Love that line. It, it To me, it paints a picture of how we should be responding to every message that we hear, to everything that is taught to us from Scripture. If anything you hear from me in teaching sitting here, it is our personal responsibility to open up the Bible and examine the Scriptures to see if these things are so. To me, this verse paints a picture of our of our individual and personal responsibility to seek out God's word and seek out the meaning of God's word and try to understand if what we are being taught, what we are being told, is accurate. And in you know, through through prayer and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and working through the scriptures and then taking the teaching, I believe all these things go into play to helping us to grow closer to God and, and furthering our relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's it's a it's, it is a responsibility that we have. It's you know we we, we use that that term that's that's overused about uh, Christians who come to church and they just sit soaking sour. They're not involved in anything. They don't further their their uh, um, their education or their faith by spending time reading on their own, studying on their own. They sit and they listen to whatever the preacher has to say. And they take it in, and you don't do anything with it. And you don't grow that way. You grow by digging deeper. You, you grow by, by living out the Word. You grow by doing more and more things. And, and when you see how these Jews responded with, I love that the word here that's in the ESV, with all eagerness, Examining scriptures daily to see if these things were so, and I know it's got to be an over uh, an overemphasis of that word, but I get this picture in my head of these Jews hearing what he says and literally wanting to just you know like coming into a huddle and saying, "Really? Did you? Did you I didn't think of that. I didn't know that." And they really want to hear. They really want to learn. They really want to know what's going on. So not only are they examining the scriptures, but they're eager to do so. They're stirred up inside and they can't wait to open up the scriptures and find out if what they're hearing is true. Don't you wish we could all be like that? Wish we were all that way? And I, and I, and I do believe that as believers, if we truly seek to be in touch with the Holy Spirit and allow that allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in the direction we are to go, we'll experience that eagerness. 
It takes prayer. It takes shutting out the world. It takes not quenching the Holy Spirit. It takes being open to where God wants you to go and experiencing and feeling that eagerness. Think back to when you were first saved. Think back to when you first heard the good news of the gospel and the fire that was inside of you. Most of the time, there was an eagerness that was there. And it's an eagerness that, unfortunately, in the world today, the more we get involved in things around us and the more we get put down by all of the, the incredible stresses of the world, that fire is still there. But we don't feel it as much because we're feeling the heat from all the other things. And it's up to us to get in tune to that and find a way to rekindle that eagerness to a level where we're examining the scriptures in the same manner that these Jews were. We sometimes get into that habit of painting all the Jews with the same brush. We do. That they're all the same. We sure do, Jim. We do have the ones who are looking for the Messiah. Yeah, and it's it is not uh, it, it's not it's, it's not a fair representation to do that, is it? Because the scriptures don't do that. I got so excited on Thursday. I spent the whole day Thursday writing a sermon, and I, after I got finished writing it, I didn't look at it again until this morning. But it took my study took me to Hebrews chapter eleven, and as I was reading it, uh, I, fi- I, I, cl- I finished reading it, and I thought the sermon has already been written. It's just <laughs> Hebrews chapter eleven. I don't. There's nothing that I can add to this to make it any greater than it already is. And I that was a little discouraging, sort of. <laughs> but but I thought to myself, like, this is sufficient. It is far greater than anything that I can say out of my own mouth, but this is sufficient. And just to have that understanding is exciting. You know? Yeah, it takes a lot of should pressure. Be. It takes a whole lot of pressure off me. God's already wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. God's already wrote it. You can't do better than what God writes. Right. Yeah. Nope. I am. I'm with you. I'm with you 100. Any other comments there? All right. So here he is. They're examining the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. And verse 12 it says, um, "Many of them therefore believed." with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Again, not a few. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, there they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. So it wasn't wasn't good enough for them to, to run them out of Thessalonica, they said, now we know what's going on over in Berea. We've got to put a stop to this too. And so they come over and start raising a fuss. And they were agitating and stirring up the crowds. It says, then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted... Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. 
So we are about to, to enter into the story of Paul in Athens. And, and I want you to get a picture if you've, I haven't done a lot of study on Athens, but uh, but we do know that there was a period of Athens where, you know, this, this great philosophy and all these things that were taking place. And it was was known as a, uh, as a, as a city that was pretty prominent. This is a time when a lot of that prominence is falling away. Athens is not quite as is not quite the great city that we might think it is. And as as Paul is is getting here, he is he's experiencing something that's different from what he has found in the other cities that he has gone to. And he finds the that essentially this is a city that is packed full of idols. They have made idols to all kinds of things. Jamie, you had something? I was just going to say, the first two sections of this, there seems to be an emphasis that you know, I find it interesting and believable. The women are much more open in tune. Mm-hmm. It just reminds me. Yeah. We'll take their directions from the drop from the. <laughs> they're saying, look, when we ask for directions, you know, the. You just get the idea that uh, that that they that they're a little more independent, <laughs> a little more a little more independent, perhaps, and mm-hmm. uh, doing their own thing. And it is interesting to me that, and I didn't call it out, but it is interesting to me that through this, that the scriptures call that out specifically. Yeah, they keep saying women of high standing. Yes, and and women, and in, in the in the synagogues, and and the, they held some higher higher offices and higher. Um, I don't know what the, what the right word would be, but they were of higher standing in in a lot of these places. And so I think that the the, the key thing there to, to realize and why the scriptures are calling that out is that these are influential people who are coming to know Christ. And if these influential people are coming to know Christ, then they're going to have influences in other circles. And so that, that's the importance of it is it's, it's going to grow. It's going to go places and things are going to happen. And so... Yeah, it, it, you're, you're right, and it, it goes back to that. Uh, and Tink and I had a discussion when we talked uh, a few weeks back. Uh, you know, currently right now, women in the church, and especially in Baptist churches, um, it's a it's a real hot button topic, if you will, uh, on social media and at the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, and it, and it's not it's it's not the purpose of our discussion this morning, um, but but sometimes I think it would do well for those who are. Um, taking certain, uh, I guess I should say, certain ideals and certain traditions, some supported by Scripture, some not supported by Scripture, and it would do them well to to give the Scriptures a good hard reading and understand where it is that that they really need to be um, focusing. But uh, they were clearly integral. Yes, they were to the whole Yeah, there's there's no question about it. No question about it, and uh, and we don't want to. We don't. We never want to minimize that. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up because I, I kind of glossed over it. So I, we won't get too deep into this. It's uh, uh, ten forty here. I think I'll hold off and and we'll start that discussion. Know that know that Paul runs into um, two different groups here that are are mainly the the between the Stoics. Um, and the uh, the Epicurean uh, folks who have totally different viewpoints, and but what they but what they are, even though they have different viewpoints and different ways of looking at things, they are open to new ideas, 
and they are so open to new ideas that they, they literally have a place and a council to go and sit and hear about new ideas. And so Paul has this opportunity to witness to them, and we'll read all about that, that next week. Um, you can go to uh, the, the uh, Areopagus outcropping today in Athens, which is, uh, the Romans called it Mars Hill. Uh, you can go there today and there's a plaque on the rock reading of Paul's sermon that may or may not have been made at that spot, but certainly was made to the government that met, or the, the group that met at that spot. So we'll, we'll go into all that next week and talk about it and how he uh, presented the gospel and the importance of, of really taking a look at how he presents the gospel, how he meets them where they are, how he, he essentially addresses them and says, you know what, I understand where you are. I understand what you're looking for. And now let me explain to you how I have found it and you can find it too. And it is a, it's, it's to some degree, it's a lesson in apologetics of defending the faith. It's a lesson in ways to witness to those who are completely and totally lost. Uh, and so we can, we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that next week. So any closing questions, comments, criticisms? I'm open for all. Athens was uh, the intellectual capital of the world. You had Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. And it showed that men were always searching, or women too, yeah. searching for a god to worship. There was 3,000 statues at the entrance of, of Athens. 300 were worshipped, and he used this for his own good. good. Sure did. Sure did. So it's Paul. Paul was. Uh, uh, there's a lot we can learn from him with regard to how we we can witness today and and uh, and bring people to Christ. And uh, he was clearly led. But you're right. That was. It was. It, there's so much that came out of Athens that was considered to be noble. Uh, but one thing that wasn't there until Paul got there was an understanding of the gospel. So. We'll get into that and move forward the next week. Thank you all for being here. Uh, appreciate you all very much and look forward to, to sitting with you again next week. Um, let me see. I'm going to pick on somebody here. Uh, would you mind dismissing us? Would you? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to gather here today, Lord. Just uh, be with us, take this message, allow it to apply to our lives, Lord. Uh, be with the sermon today, Lord. Help us just to be able to learn something and take that home. And be with us the rest of the week. May we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, sir.